Welcome to Seekers and Scholars, a podcast from the Mary Baker Eddy Library in Boston and online at mbelibrary.org. I'm Jonathan Eder, your host. We situate Seekers and Scholars in our minds at the intersection of spiritual quest and scholarly inquiry. And in thinking about that intersection, what comes up for us as a kind of ongoing question is how does spiritual quest relate to the business of life? That is, in what ways does spirituality lead away from the world and the mundane? And then in what ways does it lead back into the world to see and experience it differently? Today, we have the pleasure of having as our guest, Jane Plitt, to explore these questions and others in the context of one of history's most innovative and accomplished female entrepreneurs, Martha Matilda Harper. Welcome, Jane. Thank you so much. Well, it's great to have you, Jane. And I I love reading about you and the various dimensions of your career, and I just would like to share a few of those with our listeners. So, Jane, your career has spanned the worlds of business, activism, and scholarship. As a businesswoman, you've received many honors, some of them... uh, Go back a ways, you were Rochester, New York's Small Business Person of the Year in 1987, but more recently, in 2017, you received the Marquee Who's Who Lifetime Achievement Award. As an activist, you have served as National Executive Director for the National Organization for Women, and as a writer and scholar, you've authored articles and lectured internationally on creative marketing, economic development, social entrepreneurship, and women's rights. And you are the author of Martha Matilda Harper and the American Dream, How One Woman Changed the Face of American Business, published by Syracuse University Press in 2000. You're in a great position to address this topic of Martha Matilda Harper in the context of this sort of larger question of ethics, business, and and spirituality, and, and sort of the deeper motivations, and perhaps greater ideals that can inform a life in the business world. Jane, how did you get started with researching and writing on Martha Matilda Harper? Well, as you suggested, Jonathan, I was a businesswoman, and my marketing consulting firm was hired by a community bank in Rochester, New York, to help it promote the renovation of the oldest office building in Rochester, known as the Powers Building. Mm -hmm. And our firm came up with the concept that we thought everyone in the community had some contact, um, whether a relative or memories of being in that building. And so we suggested to create a history gallery. Mm -hmm. The bank loved it, and we invited the public to share whatever memorabilia or stories they had. One of those pieces of memorabilia was a little clipping that talked about Martha Matilda Harper, indicated that she opened the first beauty salon in Rochester for women in 1888. And it also indicated she was the first woman member of the Chamber of Commerce. Mm. Since I was a small business president of that chamber, I thought, let me find out about her. But when I called the chamber, they had no idea. What they said, though, was when you find out, 
more about her, let us know. <laughs> Which is the wrong challenge to make to me um, <laughs> since I picked it up and pursued it in a way I never envisioned. I went to the Library of Congress because I couldn't find anything in Rochester about Harper. A librarian spent two hours searching, and she wasn't in who's who as a significant woman, as a significant business person. But what he found was a New York Times obituary, 1950, commemorating her passing and citing her as the significant world entrepreneur who created modern retail franchising, whose loyal customers included royalty, U.S. presidents, and others like Susan B. Anthony. Mm. And I knew that she must have been significant because usually most women's stories were recorded on the society page, but very few were recorded on the New York Times obituary in 1950. So I thought, well, you know, someone should write her story, but it certainly wasn't going to be me because I wasn't a historian at that point. But it was as though her spirit penetrated my head and soul because a little voice kept saying, who's going to write my story? Who's going to write my story? And I thought if it was as difficult for me to find that minimal information out about Martha Matilda Harper, who would write her story? And I thought I might as well pursue it. So I thought it would take six weeks. It took six years. And I ended up switching careers, becoming a visiting scholar at the University of Rochester. And the rest is recorded in that book and a couple of others. Yeah, well, I, I'm so glad you took on the challenge. It's a, it's a wonderful book. It's a wonderful story. But the thing that's so surprising to me, and I shouldn't be surprised because I've uncovered similar stories as well, is somebody who is so significant, um, has such a profound impact on the world and society and is so well known, can be so quickly forgotten. What, what do you make of that with somebody like Martha Matilda Harper? Well, I think it is a sad reflection of the fact that much of history is recorded by those in, quote, power, Mm. unquote. And in general, those tended to be um, white men. Mm -hmm. And the accomplishment of an outsider, especially an immigrant woman, was not something that was recognized. There's unfortunately many examples of people of color and women whose accomplishments have not been fully recognized and only are beginning to, but uh, we need to change our history books to include her story. Yeah, so she was an immigrant. Can you give us a little sense of the extraordinary trajectory of Martha Patilda Harper's life. I'd be delighted to set the scene. Um, She was born in 1857 outside of Oakville, Ontario, 
in a poor hamlet named Verneville. Mm. And unfortunately, at that time, if you were female, you lacked any legal control over children, over property rights, as we know, over the ability to vote. And so her father um, was lazy, and he bound out each of the seven children to earn money and contribute to the family. Martha, unfortunately, was bound out at the age of seven, Mm. sent 60 miles away, which might have been being sent across the Atlantic Ocean in those times. And then for the next 25 years, she remains a servant. Fortunately, her last Canadian employer taught her about healthy hair care. He was a holistic doctor. And at that time, he also was unusual. Upon his death, he bequeathed her a copy of a hair tonic formula that he had concocted and that was, in fact, strengthening her hair. Mm. In fact, her hair was floor length, like Rapunzel. <laughs> yeah. She took that formula, and with it, she emigrated to Rochester, New York, also as a servant, but with it, she thought she might be able to break out of the bondage that she found herself and many other poor women found themselves in. She remained in Rochester as a servant for six years until in 1888, as I mentioned, she opened up that first beauty salon for women. You know, in hearing some of the things you're saying about Martha Matilda Harper, it's inevitable that we at the Mary Baker Eddy Library would think about our namesake, Mary Baker Eddy, in the sense that she faced so many challenges as a woman in her time in the United States in not having power over so many important dimensions of her life. It is one of the reasons that I believe Mary Baker Eddy became a heroine to Martha Mm. and that her approach to spirituality became most attractive to Martha. Mm. Once she reached Rochester, New York, she finds herself in an environment in which the community is relatively open to what I call outliers, Mm. people who are thinking outside the box. Yeah. And that includes Susan B. Anthony and other civil rights activists and the like. And it becomes a hotbed for people who are talking differently than what she had heard. As she is encouraged to think about independence and pursuing economic independence, and she's secretly titrating her hair tonic in her bedroom (laughs) in preparation for possibly opening a shop, she finds herself ill, exhausted. Mm. Oh, yeah. And it's fascinating to me that she links up with a Christian science um, healer 
Martha spends precious dollars. She had only her lifetime savings of $360, and it changed her life. After she was healed, she was a believer Mm -hmm. in this Christian science spirituality, and it followed her for the rest of her life. She was very concerned about her products being pure and organic and not having dangerous chemicals. And later, as it became very popular to have hair bleaches, and it was very profitable for the beauty industry, Martha refused for decades to have those bleaches in any of her shops because she believed it was dangerous and, I think, influenced by her Christian science values. What did the beauty industry mean in the late 19th century when she got started in it? It was essentially non-existent Mm. for women, which was why Martha was able to enter it. Mm. Um, In the Victorian era, women traditionally had their hair cared for in the privacy of their home. If they were wealthy enough, they had servants who cared for it. If not, they took care of their hair themselves. So when Martha launches this new concept of a beauty salon for women, it is taking on society's values. Wow. But she incorporates cleverly her 25 years of servitude and the training that it's important to please people. Mm-hmm. And so she invents the first reclining shampoo chair and a cutout sink so mm-hmm. that customers would not get soap in their eyes mm. since it's critical that they walk away from the Harper experience positive and not with burning in their eyes. Right. That just took off and began to expand women's demand for this kind of shop beyond Rochester, New York. And at the turn of the century, we begin to see manufacturers take over what women had begun to uh, launch themselves, and they become manufacturers like Charles Revson of Revlon and others. But also other women entered the market, as we know, Estee Lauder, Helena Rubinstein, and the like. But this is in the early 1900s. Martha preceded them. Yeah. So uh, all of us who go into a stylist or a beauty salon today and lean back comfortably and place our head backwards into a sink, we, we have Martha Matilda Harper to thank for that. Yes, indeed. So... How did her understanding of beauty connect with her spiritual perspective? Well, that's a fascinating contrast. Martha Mm. taught her Harper assistants and franchisees. She taught that their role was to bring the inner beauty of each customer out. Mm. In contrast, Charles Revson from Revlon, 
instructed all that their goal was to sell hope in a jar. Right. And that's an amazingly different objective. Mm-hmm. One is believing that all of us have an inner beauty. And the other is suggesting that you need to purchase a product in order to be beautiful. I presume from that that they were seeing each customer as having their own special individuality and that there was an opportunity here just to to bring it out more fully through a time in, the, in a Harper Salon. And yeah. Absolutely. And, and in addition, she began to expand so men were able to also experience the Harper Method. And what we learn is that when President Wilson was negotiating the Treaty of Versailles in Paris, Mm -hmm. um, he went nightly to the Harper shop there in order to have relaxing scalp massages. I personally had the Harper experience myself, Mm -hmm. and I can share that it was unique. I have been to spas. I've been to a variety of establishments that supposedly pamper. But what the Harper experience was, was so directed to individually delighting me Mm. and to physically releasing the built-up stress of uh, daily life. And when one looks at some of the older salons, it reflects how Martha cared so much about the quality of the environment for each individual. And there was privacy assured. Each Harperite was instructed that gossip would be reason for termination. There was to be no gossip between the customer and the Harperite or between Harperites. Mm -hmm. That there was to be respect. There was to be, as I indicated, total focus on bringing that inner beauty out with the Harper methodology. Mm -hmm. So it was in many ways a precursor to the spa treatment that has been created. And it probably would explain why Harper was so successful all over the world. Mm. Wow. Jane, in your book, you quote this wonderful philosophy of, um, of Martha Matilda Harper, which she identified as wholesome discontent. Harper writes the following in a publication called The Harper Method Progress. Quote, I am a strong believer in the gospel of discontent because being satisfied with things as they are is a sure sign of decline. Constructive discontent is to me a higher faculty of mind. Through its force, women now occupy as never before in history positions of responsibility, usefulness, and freedom. A wholesome discontent will bring us better things in the future, will make our lives fuller and more interesting, and will bring us prosperity and success and crown our lives with joy and happiness. Uh, Jane, you know, I think that release of this podcast episode will time 
with the 100th anniversary of women gaining uh, full enfranchisement in the United States uh, with the right to vote in August of 1920. I'm reminded of something that I just saw um, on PBS that's uh, produced a, a film in honor of this event where a woman is saying, you know, we're often told that we were given the right to vote. We were not given the right to vote. We took it or words to that effect. And it, it seems that there's a bit of that spirit there with Harper. Well, I think clearly she understood, given her life, that things were not gifted to her, that she had to seize opportunity. She had to capitalize on whatever limited assets she had and do something with it in a positive fashion. What's fascinating about Martha is she had a choice. She could have just simply succeeded personally, mm -hmm. but at the juncture where she begins to expand, she comes up with the concept, and I believe based on the Christian science model, of franchising, mm -hmm. which had not been launched previously for modern retail franchising. It was a brilliant way of using business for social change. Wow. Make no mistake, Martha wanted to be financially comfortable. Of course. Um, Jack Benny had said, I've been poor, I've been rich, and let me tell you, rich is better than being poor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Martha understood that. She, she did not want to be without resources, but mm -hmm. she understood that she had the power to begin to help change other poor women's lives through mm -hmm. her business and her business model. And I think while Christian science clearly was a major factor to that, so is the whole suffrage movement. Mm -hmm. She's living in the hotbed of Rochester, New York, where Susan B. Anthony lives. Anthony is a customer of hers. They're talking. Anthony never thought that the vote was the end game for women's equality. Mm -hmm. She used to say that every woman needs her own pocketbook, and I'm sure she told Martha that. Right. And why she kept citing Martha as the example wow. of what full equality would mean mm -hmm. when women could, in fact, be independent wage earners, business owners, and the like. So very thrilling and very appropriate that we begin to understand as we celebrate the 100th anniversary of suffrage that also economic emancipation mm -hmm. was part of that process and one eagerly pursued and brilliantly envisioned by Martha Matilda Harper. Yeah. So you were talking about the Christian science model for the franchise system that she developed for other women to have their own uh, businesses, as, as Harper, Harperites with their Harper salons. What was that Christian science model? If you can give us just a, uh, a simple picture of how that might have served as uh, inspiration for her. Well, at the crossroads, when people are demanding that she open shops in their community. Mm -hmm. 
When Martha needed to find a way to expand, she realized that Christian science provided that model with a strong leader who happened to be a woman, Mary Baker Eddy, the Mother Church in Boston, the satellite operations all over the world, and the ability to put out training so that people could follow the path. And that's exactly what the Harper Method did. Rochester, New York could be the center of Harper operations. She can set up separate shops, a point which she would initially call agents. Mm -hmm. And with that, she also decided that the first hundred of ultimately her 500 shops worldwide would only go to poor women. Mm. Wow. So she was making a clear statement about her intention to transform and expand these women's lives, but it was also a brilliant business decision. Because at a time when you didn't have what we have today, the digital connection, it was important that you have a loyal following. These poor women whose lives she was about to change followed her direction to the T. They went where she sent them. One woman said, I never took a step outside of my county, and now I'm being sent to Chicago. And she said, I went because Martha sent me. It was not just a spiritual move. It was also a brilliant business move. Mm -hmm. And I think she combined both. Mm -hmm. Martha Matilda Harper launched Modern Retail Franchising, She has been overlooked by many uh, history books and the like, but she has now been credited with that establishment. So Jane, how is the story of Martha Matilda Harper reflected in the world today? In today's times, the role of women and immigrants in franchising is exploding. Mm. Women are going into franchising at twice the rate that others are. One in four immigrants are becoming entrepreneurs. And so we see the legacy continues, even though Harper has um, been forgotten, the institution continues and enables immigrants and women to change their lives, which is just what she wanted. Right. That's terrific. That's lovely to see how these worlds of sort of progressive, liberating spirituality, progressive, liberating business coalesce in the story of Martha Matilda Harper. It's been wonderful learning about her from you, Jane. Thanks so much. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's all about opportunity. If, if anyone knew that, it was Martha Matilda Harper. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode on the groundbreaking business and social entrepreneur, Martha Matilda Harper. 
We were so pleased to have as our guest Jane Plitt, author of Martha Matilda Harper and the American Dream, How One Woman Changed the Face of Modern Business. If you haven't done so already, please check out the article on Harper on the Mary Baker Eddy Library website. You can find it in our Women of History series. And please join us for upcoming episodes. Among them, we'll be joined by Dr. David Hall to discuss his book, The Puritans, A Transatlantic History. We'll look at how their story relates to that of Mary Baker Eddy and in what ways her life and writings can help us understand the spiritual quest of these early settlers in New England. In other episodes, we'll be exploring connections between artistic and spiritual pursuits in modern American art. Also, we'll be looking at the musical career of Ruth Barrett Phelps. She was to date the longest-serving organist at the Mother Church in Boston. She was the first woman to be dean of the Boston chapter of the American Guild of Organists, and she was a composer. As always, please feel free to be in touch with us at podcasts at mbelibrary.org with questions, comments. We always love to hear from you. Again, that email address is podcast at mbelibrary.org. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast is produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library, copyright 2020.